Hello and welcome to the ADHD Impact Podcast. I'm Becca Brighty, business psychologist and ADHD coach who received an ADHD diagnosis at the age of 34. I've since used my professional training to understand how the ADHD brain functions and use that information to change the way I work. The purpose of this podcast is to help people to see how they can harness their ADHD brain so that they can make the impact in the world that they know that they can and to help those working with ADHD is to create environments that help everyone thrive at work. So today's guest is Liz Mulhall-Brewer, who is a fellow ADHD business psychologist and neurodiversity workplace wellbeing consultant. Hi Liz, welcome to the ADHD Impact Podcast. Hi Becca, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, you're welcome. So the reason why I have asked Liz to be a guest on the show is because for many moons I've seen her posting about her very interesting research on the impact of ADHD in the workplace. And so the reason I started this podcast and my business of the same name is to resolve a lot of the issues that I think that ADHDers can experience at work. So for me, that's been the biggest impact on my life that I think upon reflection, ADHD has had and well, having undiagnosed ADHD, um, I've managed to, I feel like, have a good family, have good friends, but then my career is where I've always felt really struck and I rarely see people who specialise in this. A lot of the great services that exist seem to, to help people with ADHD seem to be about ADHD's impact on the individual, but I very rarely see people focusing on its impact at work. So every time your research has popped up on my feed on LinkedIn. I've been very intrigued. So I'm very excited to have Liz with us here today to share what she's learned about ADHD in the workplace. So first of all, Liz, would you um, just be able to tell us a bit about your experience in terms of what led you to be diagnosed and then why you wanted to research ADHD at work? Yeah, so I went back to uni to study business psychology and within the first couple of months, it just brought back the horrors of further education and just how tricky it was. I found it really hard to sit in lectures from nine to five, um, retain information. I found myself sort of rereading lots of um, documents. I was, I was watching the lectures over and over again. I just couldn't understand why I couldn't retain the information. And I've always experienced quite a lot of anxiety in my life. And I was talking to a friend at uni whose daughter had just been diagnosed with ADHD. And I was actually giving her some tips around anxiety management. And she said to me that my experience sounded really similar to her daughter's and had I ever considered ADHD. And I hadn't. And she showed me the ADHD iceberg. All right. And it was, it was like I was hit by a train because it was, it was just my existence. That was my complete experience. Um, so yeah, I put myself forward for a private diagnosis and in December, so I started uni, October and December, I found out it was ADHD. Wow. So that, that was quite quick. Did, did you do that? Did you do that privately or were you just one of the lucky, do you live in a really great area? They, they don't do adult ADHD assessments where I live. Um, but yeah, I, I went privately. Um, I probably could have accessed it via uni thinking about it now. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I just put myself forward for a private diagnosis mm. and yeah, found out very quickly that it was ADHD and everything started to make sense. <laughs> yeah. I often hear it described as like that sixth sense moment where you look back over your life and you're like, oh, <gasps> yeah, all the signs were there. <laughs> But no one knows about the signs, so it may, that makes it a bit difficult. So what, what's the ADHD iceberg that you just referred to? 
so I think it focuses on the three. So inattentive. Um, I can't remember. There's three kind of areas that it focuses on, mm-hmm. and then that's what you see above the surface. And then okay. below, you've got emotional regulation, challenges, mental health conditions, um, things about finances, just all the the experiences that can be experienced um, with ADHD. And it, I've just never seen an image and related to it so much and thought mm. this is what describes my experience. Right. So yeah, it's quite, it was quite a profound and weird moment to, yeah, mm. sort of see all your life struggles put into a, an image and yeah, just to make complete sense to you. Yeah, that must have been in, intense. And so then what from from that? So you went from not knowing anything about ADHD, two months later finding out you had ADHD, to then that becoming the topic of your um, master's research. So what was it about? Can you tell us a bit about your research and why you wanted to look into the topic that you did? Yeah, so I did what I think a lot of people do and sort of hyper-focused um, on trying to learn as much about ADHD as possible read lots of books. Um, at the time, there wasn't actually that many books out. There's a lot more now, uh, which is really encouraging. Um, but yeah, I just really started to look into what the literature said about ADHD um, and if there was anything around workplace experiences. And it was very, very limited. Um, so most of it was pharmacological. So it was looking at um, the impact of medication. And a lot of it is based on sort of childhood, adolescent experiences. And there wasn't Three years ago, there wasn't a huge amount on adult ADHD mm-hmm. that has increased. Um, I think there's there's probably eight qualitative studies that look at the experience of ADHD diagnosis in women, um, wow. which only is, eight. I mean, it's, it's a very low number, but it's still, <laughs> it's encouraging that people are interested. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I am denied for, for about two years on what I should cover, and I was going to look at performance. Um, I was, yeah, and I just went back and forth and there were so many gaps in the literature that I just wouldn't have been able to research it because I couldn't, I wouldn't have had enough information for my literature review. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to look at ADHD diagnosis uh, or late diagnosis and workplace disclosure experience, because although there isn't any, well, there's one paper on, um, it's a quantitative paper on ADHD um, disclosure it looks at the role of psychological safety and stigma which is interesting but that's the only paper that covers the topic of workplace disclosure so I covered autism uh, disability and mental health disclosures mm-hmm. at work um, which there is overlap and, and similarities mm-hmm. so yeah I was just really interested in how women experience this significant event in their life how they process it how they make sense of this experience and then how they manage um, the conversations at work and what the impact of those conversations were. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was really interesting. And this sort of merging of ADHD identity and occupational identity and what that means to, to individuals. So it was very interesting, which helped. Yeah, it's a really strange experience, isn't it? Because one day you just like, well, especially for you how quick it was, but one day you just like have in your mind you're not neurotypical and then you find out and then you'd like your whole inner world's kind of changed but then everything around you is exactly the same so you could find out on like a Wednesday and then you just like you're like, like this crazy experience but then yeah you just go back to work the next day even though you now have this insight into yourself about why 
your admin takes you so long wide emails take you so much longer than everyone else you now have this understanding but then everything around you hasn't changed at all so what did you find in your in your research with regards to what diagnosis experience is like um it was described very overwhelmingly positive so everyone who including in my participants but everyone who received a diagnosis really spoke about the benefits of being diagnosed um, mainly for themselves and understanding themselves better. It was described as validating, um, bringing relief, making sense. Um, one of my participants described it as all the angels coming down at once and saying, it's okay, we've got you. Wow. And it, yeah, it's just, it was so, it's really emotional. And just reading about these experiences because people initially often are quite um highly highly emotive and yeah it's really interesting just to see how these experiences versus what you hear about the stereotype and the the press media coverage and how profound it is for individuals yet how other people probably wouldn't have a clue what it really means or or how big the experience is mm. so yeah lots of relief and validation um some grief for um, the life they feel they should have had if they'd had an early diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, made them understand themselves better, their struggles, it gave it a name. Um, so yeah, overwhelming, pos- overwhelmingly positive experience. Workplace disclosure experiences were mixed and quite negative with yeah refusals of adjustments, being sat down and having to explain what ADHD is to managers when they've just received a diagnosis in a week and they don't understand themselves Mm -hmm. and also um, what adjustments do you need so what support do you need expecting them to be experts in their recent diagnosis which I think yeah was challenging frustrating and it was described as sort of battles and horrible experiences they wished they hadn't um there was one really positive experience where the manager was very proactive. But interestingly, good experiences were related to having ADHD in the family or knowledge. So mm-hmm. um, the managers that gave a better experience had a child with ADHD, for example. So they had an understanding already. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was very, it was very interesting. Um, the research on disclosure um, suggests that the biggest barriers to disclosing are um, stereotypes stigma and discrimination but the benefits are obviously getting accommodations um, and adjustments I saw your post about reasonable adjustments and I just think yeah the wording is so off Mm -hmm. and it needs to be be looked at and reframed Mm -hmm. but there was also some research about saying disclosure is a double-edged sword because if you do disclose you then get sometimes stigma and discrimination from that disclosure but if you don't, you suffer in silence and you don't get any adjustments. So it's, yeah, it's quite a dilemma, I think, for some people to make the decision. Mm. And so was it, so these negative experiences, was it more about like an unkind response from the management and from the organisation? Or was it just a lack of understanding? Because like you say, like I've been diagnosed for 18 months, there's still stuff I'm learning all the time. So it's potentially not reasonable to expect a manager to know 
a lot about ADHD. So when these people are talking about their negative experiences, from their perspective, I can mm. totally see that having someone be like, okay, so what do you need? And tell me about ADHD, why that would be horrible. But what did people tell you anything about the actual, like the intention, like where it was coming from? Yeah, so one person had um, self-disclosed previously, which was ignored effectively, and she asked for an access to work referral. And yeah, that was that was refused. Um, another person asked for adjustments and they said, so if we give you this, you'll stop making mistakes. It was this trade off. So, OK, so we can give you this. But what are you giving back? So I think it was there was an element of being unkind, but also very unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And I think given the heightened emotion of the situation, sometimes it can be received in a different way in a different way you've got rsd that can impact Mm -hmm. how responses are received as well so i think it's not as clear cut or black and white but they received it as a negative experience based on kind of how they read them and what the response was to the support they needed essentially yeah that's tough and it's the access to work one's a really strange one as well because it doesn't cost businesses any money to refer access to work is a government scheme that supports people with ADHD or any disability. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's really, yeah. really confusing. Um, you just mentioned RSD there. Could you just tell us a bit about what RSD is for anyone who's listening who might not know what that refers to? Yeah, so it's um, reject- rejection sensitivity dysphoria. It isn't recognised as a symptom of ADHD and I looked actually there's no research into what it is or what the experience is um but I would describe it as for me it's when your brain sort of floods with emotions and an overwhelming kind of emotional pain that can be brought on by situations where you feel vulnerable or rejected and I can create it for myself which is quite a joy so it's not that I'm being rejected by other people sometimes I'm rejecting myself Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's quite a paralyzing experience that can stop functioning for hours or days so it can get in the way of you being able to think more logically it has a strong emotional kind of response and makes things really tricky to think logically and kind of get back into probably the window of tolerance where you're feeling Mm -hmm. more calm Mm -hmm. and able to rationalize so that's yeah that's kind of how I would describe it thanks for that Um, and just going back to the workplace disclosure stuff for an organization what are the benefits of them creating an environment in which ADHDs feel comfortable to disclose because from a business perspective they might think oh well if no one's disclosing like that's all good for us we don't have to make any adjustments why would a business want to create an environment in which people feel comfortable to come forward? I think given the prevalence of neurodivergent conditions being estimated around 15 to 20% and mm-hmm. it may be higher, it's inevitable, I think, that they're going to have employees that will be that will need support and will benefit from fundamentally, it's about adjustments in their role, so being able to perform at their best and removing barriers that they Mm -hmm. might find get in the way of performance. So I think there's a strong sort of performance angle to it. Mm -hmm. And 
also I think people being able to I don't think people can bring the their real selves to work I think that um is a bit flawed where there is a degree of professionalism that's expected from us and if we mm. were to kind of bring everything uh, with us I don't think that would be optimal um but I think having a space where people can share who they are and how they experience work is really important mm -hmm. um I think also there's an increase in parents and particularly women mm -hmm. um receiving later diagnoses as a result of their children so you've you've got the impact of having parents at work with neurodivergent children and that can be quite challenging when they're managing their careers and home life and children mm -hmm. and so you've probably got maybe 40% of the workplace that might be impacted in some way. Mm. And it just makes sense to have support and adjustments for productivity and performance. Mm -hmm. And it's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So there's the business case, the, um, the productivity gains and the performance improvements that you would see if you're supporting people within the workplace who have things like ADHD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And this is what you often see kind of hammered home that neurodiverse, neurodiverse teams are 40% more productive and highly innovative, creative, which they are. But we can't solely solely focus on the gains without thinking about the support and the environment required to get those gains, which I think is sometimes overlooked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so how how do businesses go about creating that environment where people are going to feel comfortable to come forward with this thing that feels really massive to them, especially if you've been got a late diagnosis or there is like that most people will have, um, even if you were diagnosed in childhood, you will have experienced stigma and rejection, etc. How can, what can businesses do to create that environment where people do feel comfortable to disclose yeah, I think it's about their motivation for why they why they want to do that, thinking about um, why it's important to them as an organisation. And it's not about sort of separating of groups of people that need support. I think it's around being inclusive across the organisation mm -hmm. and asking everyone what they need to perform at their best. And it should be a pretty standard conversation for a manager to ask their team how how can you perform at your best what do you need from me what support do you need um, what barriers do you experience and how can we help you overcome them um so i don't think it has to be um complicated or, or expensive it's just this human approach of asking people what they need and, and wanting to give it to them mm -hmm. i think if you feel that it's going to be costly or people are undeserving sometimes there's a lot of friction with organisations not wanting to give um, interview questions in advance because they think it's unfair. Again, you would want your candidates to interview their absolute best, showcase their skills, be comfortable in their interview. It's the same with workplaces that, that you should be quite motivated as an employer to want your employees to, to be happy, healthy, productive, and being inclusive can, can really help that. Mm -hmm. And you can have adjustment programmes, but I think removing any medical diagnosis requirements is, is a really good step. Mm -hmm. And just understanding what people what people need mm -hmm. and how you can best support them. Okay, so, um, so in terms of what people do need, it's such a 
diverse <laughs> spectrum, what are in general some things that might be helpful for all, all organisations to know about? I think with, with ADHD in particular, schedule flexibility and flexibility with how and when they work because of the ebbs and flows of motivation and focus, which are unfortunately out of their control, Mm -hmm. having flexibility to start later, work in the evenings or work in a certain way, I think is, is probably the most effective and it doesn't cost anything. So it's flexibility with where they work and how they deliver their role. I think what really helps is clarity, absolute crystal clear clarity on what are the expectations in this role and what a performance what does good performance look like mm-hmm. so there's no reading between the lines or sort of missing um, what you need to do so clarity on role and expectations mm-hmm. um, and I think a willingness to adjust adjustments or accommodations <clears throat> they're not fixed and what mm-hmm. someone needs one week may vary six months later so it's It's having a flexible approach. Again, I think flexibility is just key with how you approach it, the support that you offer and not thinking Sarah needs the same as Sally. Mm -hmm. It's so unique and it's just understanding the individual need and how best you can support. Yeah, I think that's one of the tricky things when you're talking about it within businesses is like it's so different for everyone. So like I have ADHD and my sister has ADHD but the things that we need are really different. Like she likes having music on, whereas I find music overstimulating. And so it's even just within a family of two people who both have ADHD, who were brought up <laughs> together in a household, <laughs> our needs like vary a lot. Yeah. Um, and how it shows up for us varies quite a bit as well. So it's, it is difficult within, within businesses. So I love the idea of just being flexible, be open-minded. Um, and then that's how you can help people. Another thing I've seen you talking about on um, LinkedIn is the importance of psychologically safe environments. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I think I think psychological safety is a really un- interesting um, concept in that I think it's a journey rather than an end goal and it's an ongoing process and something that organisations have to continually work on. Mm-hmm. And for me, psychological safety is... Being able to be to be comfortable to be yourself at work, mm-hmm. um, whatever that that looks like, but also being able to fail and be open about that. And I think having a, an ADHD lens, because of the shame and guilt that can come along with ADHD, mm-hmm. um, being consistent with with team members, not holding things against them. And allowing them to make mistakes and fail is probably heightened. Mm-hmm. The openness of communication and being able to be open to feedback. Mm-hmm. Again, two-way channels of communication, um, I think is really important. And yeah, sort of this learning and development piece for people to be able to grow in their roles. But it's it came out, um, there isn't any research on qualitative experiences of psychological safety but it came out as a main theme in my research it played a key role in disclosure so people did feel safe to disclose Mm -hmm. it didn't mean that they then had a good experience but they felt psychologically safe to be able to um so I think it plays a big role in workplace disclosure but it also it's very individual and you've got the psychological safety individual level team level organizational level 
And yeah, I think it's probably, there are measures of psychological safety, but mm -hmm. I, I think like um, lots of concepts, it's, it's very fluid and it changes. I think it can be particularly variable for people with ADHD. One day they may have what they deem as a bad experience with their manager, which will impact their psychological safety levels, and then they'll have mm -hmm. to rebuild that. So I think it's an ongoing um, process mm -hmm. and just requires a consistent human approach to leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because I've worked with people before where the organization is really, they would describe the organization as psychologically safe, but they wouldn't necessarily describe their team mm -hmm. as having psychological safety. So then that's a bit of a, a difficult one for an organization to tackle because they've like got this great culture but then there's pockets within the business that aren't experiencing yeah, that absolutely and there's the intersectional identity impact as well right. you're going to have different experiences across teams of mm. yeah gender ethnicity age it's going to yeah, it's going to impact the psychological safety level so yeah it's not as clear-cut i think it's packaged up as this little as this thing that's a, that's achievable and it's this is what it is mm -hmm. it's a lot more nuanced I think and complicated yeah it's, it's one of the questions I get asked a lot is like so how do you create psychological safety and it, it's so difficult because it is so variable um for me I always I say that it's just about that openness that trust that being authentic um but, but yeah it's it's a tricky topic you mentioned feedback being part of that to creating psychological safety and having that two-way feedback between um, managers and their team. How does RSD complicate that? Because with RSD, you can, uh, you can interpret anything that's not positive. So some days you could interpret something that's neutral mm. as negative. So for me, sometimes if someone says, yeah, yeah, it was fine, I'm like, oh. <gasps> It was fine. Yeah. What have I done wrong? Why am I in this career? This is everything's terrible. Oh my goodness! And I'll think about it for a week. And then to them, they've said it was fine. Isn't yeah? It was. It, it was good. It was fine. Yeah. How does that complicate matters um, in terms of making people feel comfortable at work and giving them feedback? Where when RSD can be this little tricky demon? It is a it is a complicated one, and as you say. It's very, you could deliver something well-intentioned and it can be received the complete opposite way. So I would say <clears throat> clean feedback. It okay. would be a really good approach. This is something that, that Genius Within cover a lot with their coaching. And it's looking at what went well, mm -hmm. um, what, what could be improved and what would be even better if. Okay. And there's kind of three levels beyond that. And so you, you start with, with kind of the evidence. I saw X, Y, Z, um, and then you move on to the inference. So this made me think that, and then the impact, and the impact of that was. Okay. So it's, you're bringing in um, evidence and kind of factual, this is what I thought it meant, and then this is what the impact that it has. So you've got these three layers and three levels, which I think... You know, when you, you get feedback and it's sort of a bit of positive and they don't know what to say. And so they'll pump you up a little bit and then they'll bring you and it's it's delivered so poorly. So I think this this structure just it's really it works very well for neurodivergent employees because you've got the factual. Oh, OK, so this is what you thought. Oh, and this is the impact. It separates it out and it makes it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm sure it will still, there still will be an impact sometimes of, of RSD, but it just can take the emotion out of it. And it's not about behaviors. It's about this is what I saw mm-hmm. um, rather than you were doing X. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that can be a really effective way, but I imagine it would be a barrier for managers not wanting to give feedback and be honest because of of how that might be received and not wanting to hurt people. And I think mm-hmm. with managers, it's there's it's very rarely um, that there's bad intentions. Mm-hmm. I think it's misunderstandings and miscommunications that cause a lot of problems and the intention is good, but they don't know how to deliver it. Yeah. Um, and so they will avoid it mm-hmm. or do what they always do and can create negative responses yeah absolutely so that that does sound more effective than i've heard it referred to like the you say something good then bad then good it's like the shit sandwich of feedback mm. <laughs> yeah i like this clean feedback approach a bit more than that where you're just like looking for something good to say either side yeah but the shit sandwich you'd be fo- they'd say this is the bad thing and then that's it i would go offline nothing else would go in and I would just hyper-focus on the first thing that was said. So, yeah, for me, that wouldn't work. Yeah, no. And you just think as well, like, oh, they're just looking for the two nice things to see the side of the bad thing. Yeah. So you mentioned there this um, this idea of people avoiding topics. And I think that is really tricky because you can, I feel like now you can just offend people, especially online. You can offend mm-hmm. them with anything that you're going to say. And so... I think you've touched on something really important there and that I'm talking about now with a lot of businesses is around that education piece of like what is ADHD how does it impact people what are the different areas of their work it's likely to impact us in things like organization prioritization email management all that kind of stuff but then kind of the more emotional stuff that we're talking about about giving about giving feedback about how to do that effectively about the different ways to um so one of the things I talk about is you know at the start of a networking event or a meeting where everyone has to introduce themselves I um I've started doing this thing where I get everyone to write their name and whatever their role is and whatever the the icebreaker question is down because sometimes I feel so anxious at the start of a, a networking event my name I can't even I'm like uh, uh, I'm like start panicking like what's my name <laughs> but then by writing it down it means you and getting everyone to do that it just create like allows that executive functioning to catch up a little bit so I think there's so many things that you do that you can do once you once people like start getting that education and the opportunity and like you say I don't I think the majority of these hurtful things that are happening to neurodivergent people they're not coming from a bad place coming from the fact that it's a really complicated situation and a lot of the time people aren't being educated at work about it absolutely and then in terms of how it can impact people's well-being so workplaces are quite stressful for everyone but how is that different um when you've got adhd yeah so there is a bit of um research um it is so there is some research on, on adhd a lot of it is on on autism which there is strong co-occurrence or frequent co-occurrence. Um, but essentially what what is thought is that neurodivergent people have um, a heightened um, nervous system, so it's more responsive. And there's some research that shows that cortisol spikes are higher and longer for neurodivergent or for autistic um, right. participants. And so 
you've got a some often a, a reduced stress tolerance and a heightened stress response. So the experience is a lot more stressful and it lasts mm-hmm. for a longer time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also research that, that suggests that the window of tolerance, which is this sort of calm state where we're able to perform, think rationally, um, the window of tolerance is reduced for neurodivergent people and they're able to flip into states of hypo and hyper arousal okay, yeah. um, more frequently. So there's that hypo and hyper, it's like under arousal and over arousal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so fight, flight, freeze. And you can go between these states more mm-hmm. frequently if you're if you're neurodivergent. So they're just more sensitive to workplace stress. And I think when you've got coexisting mental health, which again is is high, I, I don't know the exact numbers, it kind of varies between 50 and sort of 70% of anxiety, depression um, across research. So you've got other factors that will impact their well-being as well. Mm. So yes, everyone experiences is stress at work and um, is impacted. But I think you've got this group of people that are particularly vulnerable to those stresses mm-hmm. and don't have the um, physiological tools to mm-hmm. be able to cope with it that other people would. So it's the system wiring is is different and that can impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also burnout is... It tends to be um, what's viewed as sort of more impactful, longer term, sort of three plus months, um, and it can prevent functioning. So some people won't be able to do their daily functioning for days or weeks Mm -hmm. at a time because of burnout. Um, So it's, yeah, it's the experience of it is just heightened, prolonged, and and probably, I don't want to, I don't like these comparisons of sort of worse than others, but compared to other people it's more it's more of a significant experience negative experience well that's difficult so so physiologically ADHD is respond more strongly to these stresses but also they are actually genuinely experiencing a lot of the time higher workloads because of things like how long it takes to do emails or um the fact that you go to do one thing and then you get distracted by another thing and then you've kind of forgotten some instructions that you were given so what can we do bearing in mind the fact that often the workload is higher because of these difficulties but then also the responses to the stresses are are physiologically so much stronger what can we do as individuals with ADHD at work to help ourselves and what can businesses do yeah I think I think workload's a really interesting one because you've got actual workload and you've got perceived workload. And I think perceived workload, which is, I don't want to say it's like imaginary, but it's it's how much work you feel that you have, which can vary from, from actual workload. Mm-hmm. And so when you've got people that can find it challenging to break down, understand and manage time, mm-hmm. that can impact how they view the workload as well. So are they accurately... Um, measuring the amount of work that they have in, in the first place, I think it's a good sort of place to start to think about that workload. And how would you do that? How would you help people to accurately forecast? Because that's something I struggle with. Like I'll create workshops and I'm like, when I'm planning out the time in my diary, I'm like, is creating this workshop going to take me a day or two weeks? <laughs> it's really tricky. How do you so help hard, isn't it? people just... to do that? Especially when you're another, a different person who doesn't live in their brain, doesn't know their abilities, how fast they do things. Maybe that's an impossible question. Again, 
me on a good day could take me 10 minutes to do something. Me on a bad day could take me an hour. Mm-hmm. So it's so, it's so variable. Like, yeah, I don't know if an exa- an answer exists, but <laughs> just to think of like, what are the core requirements of your role? What do you need to do to be successful? And then see if you can time some elements of that just to break down how, yeah, how long things will take. Being mindful of the emotional impact of work mm-hmm. and the emotional response that can sometimes impact productivity or focus mm-hmm. it's so complicated but yeah I, I don't know if there I don't know if there's an answer but there's some really interesting research on ADHD and work addiction essentially and they think that inattention um, can contribute to to work addiction so right. because it can take people with ADHD longer to do some tasks because of inattention and lack of focus that can lead to overwork and also environmental distractions can play a role and stop them being able to focus well. Sometimes, and I'm very guilty of this, checking and overchecking work, this perfectionism of the perfect email, does it make sense? Are there any mistakes? So this constant overchecking of work can um, result in people working longer and having to put in kind of double effort um, to get things done. And then also the role of kind of hyper-focus. So once you're in the zone, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to break. I Mm -hmm. find it harder to stop working than starting. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's it's really complicated, the kind of the workload Mm -hmm. um, pressure. Some some other research found that um, people with ADHD spent a lot of time doing low-value tasks. Mm -hmm. And so a top tip would be to identify what are the highest-value tasks or what are the most important things that you need to achieve today um that are that are high value and focus on those first mm-hmm. so it's yeah it's complicated and sometimes um co- uh, employees will need help around prioritization and just what's the most important thing for me to get done this week and just some some steer with that and um, that perfectionism thing so tricky as well because there's so much like as you're growing up, oh, if only you'd concentrate, oh, you didn't read the the question properly. And there's lots of silly mistakes in this that you've heard that time and time and time again. So then it makes sense why you would want to check your email to your colleague (laughs) 10 times or look over something that is not actually really that much of a big deal because you have this kind of a, such a strong association with making mistakes and looking stupid and then people thinking that you are stupid because you're making these little mistakes um like my husband he doesn't say this since I've been diagnosed but he used to say to me you're the most stupid intelligent person that I've ever met and I think <laughs> that that is a is a and I wasn't offended by it I would I was like yeah no I am aren't I um and I think that this is probably something that a lot of ADHDers get told no common sense so dizzy um you really need to pay attention how do you not know how to do that so it's really difficult to move away from this I don't want to look stupid so I'm going to check this email 10 times yeah and the grammar police and this weird link between um kind of accuracy and competence so oh I missed out an apostrophe are they incompetent it's just I think it's so you've got these neurotypical standards and expectations and this good employee Mm -hmm. put onto neurodivergent people that just isn't their reality. And it's quite tricky for them to operate that way. And I think it's quite unfair, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, 
perfectionism is crippling at times, I think. So would you say that could be a thing that businesses could do to help neurodivergent employees is to say like we don't care when you're like if you're sending internal emails we don't care whether you've capitalized it full stops like if you miss out apostrophes it really doesn't it really doesn't matter it doesn't reflect on your competence just sit that message out to everyone would that be helpful yeah I think that would be a really nice approach and if it's if this accuracy um, in communication is very important for external communication and websites make sure you it's proofread and that someone who's very skilled at that is doing that but I think mm-hmm. that'd be a really good shout yeah and it would ease a lot of anxiety for people just knowing that it's okay to miss off the s or <laughs> put in the in the wrong in the wrong word because also for dyslexia screen mm-hmm. readers um sorry grammar checkers and spell checkers standard ones they won't they won't identify if you put in the wrong word Mm-hmm. it's yeah they're, they're not skilled to help either so yeah it can be that can be quite embarrassing for people and I don't think that, that that's um that's a fair experience yeah self their control a lot of the time yeah this sharing of tasks is something I talk about quite a lot with businesses like people with ADHD often seem to have a lot of shame around the fact they can't do what they refer to as like the easy things like oh, I'm really bad at like organizing or like time management or um sending things out when I say I'm going to but I always talk about the fact that like once you get to a certain level in a business you're a CEO of a business you don't have to do all these things that we think are so important Mm. once you are respected at a certain level you have somebody who manages your time who tells you when to leave for something who organizes your travel who does your emails so is it uh, why are we as a society putting so much importance on that when you're a little worker bee but then once you're like really important those things actually don't matter so I think if we could have that as a reframe as like we're treating CEOs and like important people as it's your brain that we care about mm-hmm. so other people can do other things often ADHD is their brains are insane so if we could just treat everyone like that I think that would be really helpful yeah I'd love yeah it's so true and I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it like that actually before I did wonder how people I found as I've got more senior in my career and it's just been harder. It's got harder to manage everything. And I, yeah, I just don't know how people, I could, I don't feel like I could be a CEO. It'd be too much. Um, but you have got that, that support and that help to, yeah, get, get you through those, those, yeah, executive functioning skills that can be really tricky. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I've got access to work, that funding from the government. And that's been a complete game changer for me because I can outsource all these things that take me absolutely ages that wouldn't take me so long if I didn't have ADHD. And so um, now for the things where I know, oh, that's really faffy or I'll go onto my email and I'll get distracted. I can just dictate while I'm walking along an email to my virtual assistant and then she can do that it's still my ideas it's still my content it's just that she's typing it and finding the email address and not getting distracted by exciting shiny things um <laughs> and that's the approach that we take with ceos so if we can do it if we can do it for the important people there should yeah, surely yeah. there's some way of working it so you could have like an admin assistant per team or something like that i don't know the, the logistics mm. for all businesses but i definitely think that that is something that could reasonably easily be done. They're very low value tasks as well. And if you think about what do we want people to be doing in organisations, it's not setting up meeting and sending emails. It's getting business, it's delivering. It's, yeah, it would make sense to outsource those tasks 
Yeah, so obviously there are important things that need to get done, but do you need everyone to be doing them? Or could you have someone where it's actually their skill and they're super fast at like logging into Zoom and they know all the different systems and they know all the different technologies? <laughs> Couldn't that one person just be doing it for a lot of people? Could we not just have that as like a normal business practice? Get my vote for that. So finally, just because we're I'm conscious of the time, the two questions that I ask all guests. So the first one is what would be your number one tip you'd give to those employing people with ADHD to help them to achieve their potential? Ooh, definitely play to strengths. So I would, when hiring, I'd really look at what are the core um, skills and strengths required for to successfully do this role and perform in this role. And I mm-hmm. think definitely focusing on strengths so identifying what those strengths are within individuals and helping them deliver their roles relying on their strengths and if I could just add on a little um something else mm-hmm. would be to align it with an interest if you can have an interest that's backed up by a strength you will have high performance engagement mm. that is the uh that is the perfect place to be and I think it's hard to find that and that should be a mission for ADHD employees to find an area of interest that they love that plays to their strengths. That's the ultimate, the ultimate combo, isn't it? So <laughs> so my second question, and you may have just already answered it, is what tip would you give to ADHD is to help them make the impact that they want to at work? Would it be that, that finding the interest and play to your strengths is going to be a recipe for success? Yeah, I, I think so. But also get coaching. I am such a fan of coaching. It was so transformational for me that I became a a coach and it can help you understand yourself, unlock your potential. It does all of that stuff and more, and it has to be ADHD specific coaching. It can't be. I've had traditional coaching over the years. It's frustrating. It doesn't do anything. It's a waste of money. Neurodivergent coaching absolute game changer for performance happiness health I think it's the best investment you could make in yourself yeah absolutely and uh, something interesting that I, well there's two things I think really interesting there's the studies that show that um for managing ADHD symptoms for a lot of people ADHD specific coaching is as powerful as medication mm-hmm. and then in New Zealand they've now included as part of their medical model of treating ADHD, they recommend ADHD coaching. So that's how powerful, like, yeah, absolutely. That would, (laughs) I think if I was asking me that question, I think that would be, would be my top tip as well. Like I love any issue that I have now. I'm like, right, I'll just get coaching on it. I'll just get coaching on it Um, (laughs) and sort it out instead of it going round and round and round in my head. That is all we've got time for today. But um, if people want to know more about um, what you've been talking about today, where can they find you? LinkedIn is where I'm often <laughs> I'm often found. But yeah, that's I haven't got my website um, up and running yet. But yeah, LinkedIn is the best place for me. Okay, dog. Well, I'll put um, a link to Liz's LinkedIn in the show notes so that if you do want to um, to get in touch with her and find out any more about what we've been talking about today, you can do so. Um, but thank you very much, uh, Liz. That's been an enlightening um, 50 minutes for me. Uh, so thank you very much for your time. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. If you want more information around this topic or details on the ways I support individuals in the workplace and help businesses to be more ADHD friendly, please go to ADHDimpact.com or follow me, Becca Brighty, on LinkedIn. Thank you.